0: Hello, storytellers. It's been a long time since I've been excited about having a guest on my show. And today I've got an inspiring guest with a great, great story. And I also have the pleasure of having known this woman for, well, I don't know, almost 40 years. And I have seen her well go from caterpillar to butterfly. Her name is Beatrix Montanelli and I'm just gonna give you the short version. She's an actress, she is a yoga teacher and a successful serial entrepreneur. I'm excited because when I first met Trixie, we were both struggling actors in Toronto and then in Los Angeles. And so Trixie knows what it's like not to know where the rent money's coming from and how to deal with that. And she always dealt with it in a creative and profitable way. For instance, when we were in L.A. and the acting work was slow for everyone, She started a business selling roses in restaurants and that was very creative and very successful. Cutting to the chase, today she no longer has to think about living according to someone else's beat of the drum because she has successfully created a highly scalable business called The Flying Yogi which you're going to hear all about. And the business has an enormous income potential. Plus, she gets to enrich people's lives. Trixie, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Lewis. Um, I just want to clarify for our listeners that Trixie is my nickname, and I've always been called that by people who are my friends and my students so although my official name is Beatrix, Trixie is how I've always been known
0: and it's okay yeah yeah okay yeah good
1: totally. And uh, it was really fun listening to your intros, like watching my life flash before (laughs) my eyes. (laughs) Yeah, the roses, that was like such an experience. I did that for 12 years in Los Angeles, the Ramblin' Rose Company.
0: Ramblin' Rose, that's what you Ramblin'
1: Rose. And interestingly, before I moved to L.A., I did a film with Martha Coolidge, who was a director who came out with a film called Ramblin' Rose that starred Laura Dern. And that movie came out after I had named my company Ramblin' Rose without any knowledge of what the working title of that film was, which I had like a teeny-weeny little part in. Anyway, we're here to talk about The Flying Yogi.
0: Oh, that and and the whole journey to it. So right off the top, when did you start The Flying Yogi and why?
1: Well, let me go a little bit further back. I had been in Los Angeles now for about 14 years, grew very tired of delivering roses and was looking for the next stage of my life. Uh, My son, Joshua, whom you know, was getting into his later teens and was starting to talk about, you know, breaking out on his own. And That particular time was a very stressful time for me. That was shortly after September 11th. Mm. George Bush was in his second term. And... You know, being in L.A. and being in the U.S. was not a lot of fun. There was a, an energy about it that was oppressive. Uh, my business was struggling. I had opened up two locations, which were supposed to be very promising. One was a new mall in Pasadena and then at the Hollywood Highland Mall next to the new theater that was going to host the Academy Awards. Yet there was no business. No, The tourism had dropped due to the you know, the backlash of September 11th. And I just felt like I had hit a wall. And during that time, I turned to my yoga practice. I had been practicing off and on since a year after Josh was born. I was self-taught. I always felt that it made a big difference in how I felt in my body and in my mind and in my energy level. So I started uh, attending classes regularly in a park just around the corner from where I live that was started by someone who lived on my street who was a martial artist who had also discovered the benefits of yoga and how it had helped him with some injuries he had sustained through his years as a martial artist. And he'd started these classes, outdoor community classes, which I participated in. And he made it very affordable. So because I didn't have a whole lot of money, and I was a single mom, I was able to go to classes quite regularly. And it became my haven. It was the one place where I went where I felt okay, briefly on the mat. And as circumstances occur in life, they usually occur as a result of some accidental timing. And one day I was in the park waiting for this gentleman to show up to teach the class, and there were some other students waiting as well. There were about 12 of us, and he failed to show up. So I thought, well, no problem. I'll just lead the class. So I started to lead the class based on what I'd known and what I'd done. And about halfway through the class, he showed up, walking his Rottweiler in the park. He had just decided it was too cool. He's from Brooklyn, and he got really snobby about the weather. And he decided he'd never wanted to show his face in any temperatures below 65 degrees Fahrenheit. So he had just not shown up to class. And this is before social media. We were just communicating through emails. We didn't have a Facebook. I think. MySpace was the first kind of social platform out there. And he watched me and he saw me teaching and he approached me later and he said, you know, you looked really good doing that. You looked like you knew what you were doing and you were confident. How about I give you a class? I'll create a class. I'll promote it among my subscribers. And I started Having an afternoon class and teaching, oh, it was just two or three people would show up. It was by donation. I was grateful for every little dollar I got. It was just such a thrill for me to be able to do this practice. And I realized that I didn't know very much. It was like in doing it, I realized that there was this whole world that I knew very little of. And that's when I had the aha moment that that was my next step to become a professional yoga teacher and so I started to do some research looking for courses and teacher trainings and around this time yoga was starting to really become very popular and so trainings which used to be quite inexpensive suddenly started to go into the thousands of dollars and something told me to start looking at India I thought, if I'm going to get trained, I think I'd like to go to the source. And I started to look at India and I started to look at what the cost of living was there and what the trainings were. And I thought, wow, you know, I could actually, for what I would pay in L.A., I could probably go fly there and live for six months and get some really great training. And one thing snowballed into another and I ended up deciding to leave L.A. for good, Never planned that initially. Initially, I was just going to go for a couple of months and then come back. And then suddenly I decided, you know what? I think I'll get a six-month visa. You know what? I don't think I'll come back to L.A. You know what? I think I'll sell my car and all my furnishings. And so slowly, slowly, I started to post on Craigslist and watch my apartment and my life walk out the door as I started to um, gather funds. And I found a buyer for my rose business. Uh, we were selling up on CityWalk Universal, it was the one profitable location we had left, and uh, bought myself a ticket to India, knowing no one, knowing not where I was going to go, and not sure if I'd ever be alive to come back, but there was just something driving me, and uh, I went, and I went through my adventures there. I started with a teacher wasn't so great. And then I met people and then on and on and on. And I started to really get trained. And I fell in love with the country. I developed some lasting relationships that I still have. And um, I also met... Kunga, remember you met Kunga, the young Tibetan doctor? We got into a relationship and now I made it my mission to get him out of India, which gave me my next purpose out of India because I was like, I don't know what to do and I don't know where to go when my visa expires. So I was kind of, I guess I'm a purpose junkie. I get, I seek a purpose and I get my teeth into it. And so the next purpose was getting Kunga out of India, which was not a healthy environment for the Tibetans that were forced to live there. And it turned out, and this was never part of my plan to come back to Toronto, but that Toronto would probably be the easiest location to bring him in. And my mum was still here. And part of my intention was also to reconnect my relationship with her which had always been kind of turbulent for the, maybe the last five years of her life so i landed back here knowing just a very few handful of people i wasn't even on the grid you couldn't even find me if you did a credit check it's like i didn't exist i couldn't even get a credit card what
0: year was this
1: this was 2005 Okay. Yep. And uh, found a little apartment. Had went around to some yoga studios. Introduced myself. Created a resume. And where I was staying, where I was living, the street just across the street was this big, beautiful park known as um, Riverdale Park, just opposite Broadview Avenue. And having taught yoga in the park initially, that was my roots. I thought, Wow, I wonder if that would fly here. So this was Canada Day weekend, 2005. So I got busy, printed some flyers, distributed them all around the neighborhood, riding around a bike, plastering them uh, on all of the telephone poles, going to the Carrot Common, putting them up on all the community boards. And I remember that morning and being very nervous and wondering, like, what if nobody shows up? And I go, and there's people lingering and waiting for me to show up. And I started to teach the class. And in those days, I promoted it as a free class with donations welcome. And uh, once the summer started to come to an end, people were like, well, we don't really want to stop doing this. Can we find a winter location? And so I started visiting all the churches that are along Broadview Avenue. And um, I wanted to maintain the donation-based model because... The whole idea was to make it available to the community, not have money be an issue because yoga studios were getting expensive, and also just make it so that it's very relaxed so people don't feel like they have to be a certain body type or look a certain way to be able to enjoy yoga. And I found a church. The... Minister, the pastor at the time, she was lovely. She said, oh, you don't even need to pay. Don't worry, we have this free space. I said, well, of course, I will give you a part of my donation. I'm going on donation, and I will. And so she said, fine, then just put it in the donation envelopes. So I would do that after every class. And we did that for six years. Six years. Six years we did that. And then my mom passed, true to what I... Didn't know, I expected, but she lived five years after I arrived. In 2010, she passed, early in 2010. And she left me a little bit uh, of uh, an inheritance, which I then decided I should do something with, because you know how it is with money, it can go very fast. And I started looking around the neighborhood. And in the meantime, let me backtrack. I was leading yoga retreats to India as a way of supplementing my income because I had such good connections there. I was very knowledgeable about the teachers, etc. So I started to apply that knowledge to uh, introduce India to people and to go there and get their teacher training and to take yoga classes. And during one of my trips in 2008 or 9, I was in Goa at a the Himalayan Iyengar Yoga School where they had ropes suspended from bamboo poles. And that was my first experience of having a suspended inversion. And it felt fabulous on my back. And it was like something that I felt was always missing from my yoga practice, you know, the yoga practice was wonderful. I'd had some back injuries. It kept me mobile. But there was always this feeling like I really wanted a great stretching. And yoga cannot provide that kind of traction. And um so I purchased this rope. And up until recently, until just like last summer, it was still hanging in my doorway of the entrance of my house. Um It was about five or six inches thick, woven cotton. And... Um, I used it personally, but it wasn't the most comfortable device to suspend with because it could cut into your flesh, and there wasn't much you could do with it. And so it never occurred to me as a teacher that I would use it as a tool that I would introduce to my students. And so it was only a year later after I had that experience that I met someone through social media, uh, some dating app. I think it was a dating app. And... um, and we connected and we, we became friends. And I was traveling to L.A. about once a year to visit my son. And so he and I got together and he said, look, I came across this picture because he knew that I was into hanging upside down. And it was a prototype of what was to become my model and my brand, which is the Yogi Gym. And it had come out of Bali there was a company in Bali that had come up with this, this uh, particular design of um, a nylon hammock with handles on it. And the minute, the minute I saw it, it was like I got scared because I knew it was going to change my life. And it was like I knew when I looked at it, I, I saw that it was revolutionary and I saw the potential and it scared me. And I, it took me a year to order one, to buy one, to test it, because it was complicated. It was like part of me was worried that I would be disappointed and that it wouldn't fulfill on what my expectations were. And part of me was also scared of what, if it did, what I would feel pulled to do with it. And... Um, May I interrupt for a second? Sure.
0: Because this is mind-blowing stuff. Because all along, I'm thinking, the courageous moves that you made, I mean, sure, I'm going to get out of L.A. and go to India, but I don't know anybody there. I'm just going to go. And I was thinking, well, was she afraid? And now you tell me, this frightened you. Did you feel a lot of fear for each of those steps? Yes. So you lived that important principle Feel the fear and do it anyway. Yes. Which is the only way you can succeed. Correct. Another thing I have to... At the very beginning you said things kind of uh, often happen or they usually happen accidentally. And I'm thinking, were any of these things really accidents? Or events that were put into your path and you would either choose them or not?
1: Well, Stephen Job said, you know you know the phrase, hindsight is always 20 And there was a quote from Stephen Job that someone once shared with me. I won't, I'll paraphrase it. But he said, you can never connect the dots looking forward. But when you look back, you'll see how all the dots connect. Mm-hmm. Right? So over time, I think I cultivated a mindset that came from a place of trust. That even though I couldn't see what was in front of me, there was this faith or trust that if I just follow where my heart is leading me, I mean, obviously, there's a fine line between reckless impulsivity, which could lead to destructive behavior. But there's, I think, also a line where... In yoga, there's a principle, and it's called, and it's one of my favorite parts of the Yoga Sutras, the, te- the teachings. It's called Ishvara Pranadana, And it's one of the tenets of becoming a yoga teacher, or not a teacher, but a yogi. The Yoga Sutras lay out, it's like a manual, a blueprint, for becoming and evolving as a yogi. Ishvara Pranadana basically means... As is coined by the um, 12 step programs, let go and let God. Mm -hmm. But it can also be interpreted as meaning release your attachment to outcome. But there is a caution that this is, in order to get to that place, one needs to be making decisions and choices. You know? I think all along, In my childhood, even from the way I was raised and what my family went through, I learned very early on to make my own decisions and choices. And a lot of them were very extreme and radical and survival-based. But I think it, it programmed me in a certain way that I had a lot of confidence in my choices.
0: Are you an only child?
1: Yes and no. I was an only child between my two parents, but they went on and remarried, so I have a half-brother and a half-sister.
0: Okay, all right.
1: So I think that I, as, as difficult as that childhood was at certain times, it shaped me. And I look back now and I see that it was very fortuitous, and I was lucky. And I got to grow in certain ways and develop in certain ways that most children wouldn't be called upon to do. Yes, I was scared. I remember having a walk with my best friend in L.A. and going, I don't know what I'm doing. I can't believe I'm doing this. I don't know if I'll ever come back. But I felt like I had no choice. There was a place where you get where it just seems like either you continue doing what you're doing, which no longer feels acceptable, or you just have to take a big leap of faith. And that's kind of where I am now, too. I mean, I've woken up with my partner in the mornings and looked at him and going like, what the hell am I doing? I just purchased two properties in Mexico. I don't even speak Spanish, you know? <laughs> and, and, you know, with every big decision, there's a lot of big challenges that come with it. And there's a lot of, uh, it seems like the universe is the moment you make a commitment to something, it throws Everything but the the kitchen sink at you to to uh, challenge you, right? And and because you have to grow and develop and and and, in ways to be able to meet this big game that you're playing into, right? And I had a similar experience, and I think this was a profound moment in my development before I even went to India, before I even went to L.A. I don't know if you remembered, I produced a play for uh, the equity called um, The Wool Gatherer. Yes, and I, with Dominic. With Dominic, and I did it in the face of no agreement. Nobody said it could be done. I submitted my proposal to Equity Showcase because it is a government-funded program. They like to have big casts. This is a two-hander. (laughs) Two-hander. And it just happened that the cast and the play that they had scheduled, something happened. It fell through. They had to pull it off the schedule, and they were scrambling to fill the spot and (laughs) called me. And then, you know, my director quit. And then, you know, on and on. And then suddenly people started coming. And I'm finding myself producing this piece that I felt powerfully connected to and I remember Bob Pennington from the Sunday uh, paper theater section showed up and he's like a scary guy and I didn't he wasn't even expected to show up he showed up on the Sunday performance and I found out later he'd been in the audience and then in the morning I get a phone call have you seen the Sunday paper it was a full page spread saying bold tricksy my name was Shink at the time. Yes. You know, uh, Delivers.
0: And was this play by Master Simone? Yes. And and did Valerie Kalin design?
1: Did Valerie She Kaelin had something design. to do
0: with getting you guys together.
1: She may... I, you know what? I'm not sure. That's going back a little bit.
0: That's okay, because this yeah. is more like yeah. an in-talk. Yeah. Yeah. And sorry, audience, you don't know <laughs> these people. But I, uh, this is fascinating stuff. But
1: well, let me tell you something. This is where I was going with this, is... I came across a quote, and I don't even know how I came across it. It's been assigned to Goethe, but since then there's been some dispute as to whether Goethe said it. And it talks about, you know, when you commit to commit, and that, you know, um, boldness has power at the end, and the universe and things that are unforeseen will start to shift. Hmm. I took that as my gospel, and... It was demonstrated in my decision to go in the face of no agreement and produce this play. And what, and not even knowing whether it was going to get panned, I had no concern about how it was received. I was just so committed to seeing it get done. And that's kind of how I've always operated. I don't really think about things in terms of dollar amounts. I'm never driven about... a. a particular income level for me it's always been the journey and the thrill of taking a concept and an idea and materializing it and manifesting it
0: i just want to pause for one second those of you are listening with an open mind and heart this can change your life if you'll allow it to and i just want to say to you you have now become my teacher what I'm receiving from you, I need to hear right now Wow! in my own life. I do. You were starting to talk about discovering this new approach to yoga mm-hmm. and and recognizing in your heart it was going to be revolutionary and that it frightened you. So get back to that and where did that take you then?
1: Right. So I ended up ordering this, this uh, model that I had found. And at that time, there was nothing available uh, on YouTube or any resources, very few, to know how to use it properly. And it was awkward. uh, But I tried and I found someone in Los Angeles, who uh, had uh, promoted this. And we partnered for a while and we worked on it. And together we worked and shot and created a Teacher training manual. Before that happened, I approached a studio just in my neighborhood. Um, they had opened up called Hands On You. It was on uh, on Carla, and I pitched her this idea. I said, "I have this revolutionary yoga prop. I need a space. If you can get the hardware put up, I'll provide the equipment, and we can." promote it together, and do a 50-50 split. She was all over it. We did it. So the first group classes started in September of 2010. Just that weekend that I started my first class, I heard through the grapevine that there was a form of yoga becoming coming out called anti-gravity yoga by Christopher Harris who used to be I guess some uh, showman in Vegas or what have you and he was taking it around and taking it to Oprah etc and the view and it basically consists of like a poly net hammock that's it just the hammock no handles and different fabric but what I thought was really interesting is that I heard about it on the weekend that I opened my first class, and I realized we were at the beginning of a yoga revolution. Wow!
0: Well, you know, I, I also didn't know this. This um, I knew you, you, what you were doing. I didn't realize uh, I didn't have the, this context. And and did you rent the studio, in Carlo? No. Nope. You bought that.
1: Yeah, I bought it with the money with the money that my mom left me. Um, I had the house by then and in the neighborhood. So with some very creative financing, <laughs> I was able to refinance my house and take some of that and add it to what my mother gave me to purchase the, uh, the commercial space in the Wrigley lofts where I uh, situated myself because I, didn't want the burden of having to worry about a mortgage, a second mortgage and having to handle two mortgages. And also commercial mortgages are about double residential mortgages. So I try to like make it as uh, stress-free in terms of making that tr- transition from a financial standpoint. So I was able to purchase it, own it flat outright. I At the beginning, I rented half of it out to a pole dancing studio that had already been in there. So we divided the space. It was pretty big. It's almost 2,000 square feet. And uh, then after two or three years, they moved on. I took over the whole space. And that was 11 years ago.
0: You know, I'm thinking that there must be people listening now who don't, are so trying to visualize exactly what this form of yoga looks like. Can you paint a picture for them?
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's now it's become a little bit more mainstream. Uh, it basically consists of a strip of fabric. I I like to use a parachute material, or recycled par- parachute material, because it is very durable. It's known as what's called ripstop fabric. It's the strongest fabric, I think, known. And what ripstop means is if you were to take a scissor and poke a hole in it, it'll make a hole, but the hole won't spread. Wow. So where if, if you take traditional nylon and you poke a hole in it'll start to the fibers will start to unravel and it'll start to tear. And um also I had a foam insert placed into one of the linings on one side to make it a little bit more comfortable because it can be uncomfortable when you're putting your entire body weight in fabric and having it wrap around you. Um and then the handles are three tier So you have a hammock and then you have a pair of handles that have an upper, a middle, and a lower. And then you have a rope that has 15 height settings so that this can be adjusted to anyone's height. All right. And we work with basically five height settings and we measure them off the person's body because proportions are different as well. Everybody's built a little bit differently. So we measure from ankle height, mid-shin. Knee, mid-thigh, upper thigh. That's as high as we go. The handles can be moved accordingly depending on the arm lengths and leg lengths as well. And through the combination of these two components, a whole world of possibility opened up. I didn't even realize all that could be done when I first started teaching this and giving trainings. But my training started to attract people who were coming from different backgrounds, Pilates instructors, physiotherapists, dance instructors, etc., who are all looking for a device and finding ways to apply it to their profession. Uh, I even have uh, a woman who I trained whose expertise was teaching yoga to children with special needs. And she introduced this to them and she wrote back, with thrilled with first of all how much the children enjoyed being in it and also how it was helping them develop their motor skills and also their right brain left brain function because there's a thing called proprioception which is basically uh, refers to balance or one's spatial awareness right? And we had started some kids' classes, and parents were reporting that their child, after just attending a few days of classes, were moving differently. They were walking with more grace. They were standing taller. Because just hanging upside down for even a a minute or two regularly realigns your spine such that all posture problems just kind of disappear.
0: I'm really glad you finally used that. That phrase hanging upside down, so people think about this suspension yoga, using the apparatus and the fabric that Trixie's talking about allows you to do a stretch or in a series of stretches while you are upside down, suspended in air. Yeah, yeah,
1: and that is the that's the big sell, right? But. Over time, and that was the thing that obviously attracted me and what brings a lot of people to it, but there's so much more. I mean, for people who want to advance their yoga practice, there's a lot of poses that are uh, unattainable for the average person. Things like handstands or headstands or backward bending or balancing poses. All of those really are arm balancing poses hard to get to poses or hard to learn are made completely accessible with the use of the equipment and we develop techniques and ways of support to help people do that in fact i use influencers now on social media and one of my influencers um was chronicling through her reels uh, her journey to learn how to do handstands. And what a lot of people do is they use a handstand against the wall, which isn't always the best way because you're kind of bowing back out of your center of gravity. So I scheduled, I, I reached out to her and I said, why don't you and I have a private, and I'll show you how you can use the yogi gym, and then I'd like you to film yourself using the yogi gym coming into handstand. And I showed her the options and the techniques. And she was wowed, you know. And uh, people who are weight trainers, athletes, you know, who have injuries, being needing to work and develop a part of their body, but needing to be able to redistribute their weight as they're working a particular joint. Resistance training, because you're actually using your body weight. So you can do a lot of incredible, powerful resistance training and aerial push-ups and sit-ups and things that where you're actually, you know, Your body mass is resisting gravity, and this helps to develop tone and strength. So we use gravity. We basically have developed a methodology that manages gravity's effect on our body. A lot of what I learned was based on the findings of a gentleman named uh, Dr. Robert Martin. He published the first studies on the effects of inversion and suspended inversion. He came out with um, an equipment known as the gravity boots, which I had myself uh, owned at one time, but wasn't crazy about the model. It's just like, it's like a cuff around your ankles with a big hook and you hang upside down. In fact, Richard Gere did it in American Gigolo. That's when I first saw it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, oh wow, that looks really great. I got to try that. Um, but Robert Martin did a lot of research and he worked with NASA scientists to understand G force and how much pressure the brain could take in an inverted plane. And he discovered with his studies that it was that even with children with myopia and uh, vision problems, vision started to improve. And he started to notice also that what he he called his book The Gravity Guidance System. And then it has a subtitle that says, Turning the Aging Process Upside Down. Mm. And I started to realize that there were really anti aging benefits to suspending that inverting was reversing the stresses that gravity imposes on our bodies when we're always in an upright position and that we're not really meant to always be upright and so there were a lot of incredible benefits attributed to that and um and also a mental they they were starting to do studies where they were using inversion therapy to treat depression because it releases hormones it uh It releases um, uh, neurotransmitter release in the body. It promotes neurotransmitter development. There are all these things he discovered that were extraordinary, which I started to incorporate in my training and, and draw from. And I started to learn with every teacher training, professional students who were coming to me who were actual trainers or teachers themselves were opening my eyes as I was watching them explore from their perspective things that their bodies needed and craved from working with this equipment and watching how they started to solve problems for themselves or find ways to use the equipment or um, perform a pose that never occurred to me. But through watching them, it was like the book expanded and expanded and my manual kept growing and growing and growing. And um, yeah, and I'm still learning with what all the possibilities are with this tool.
0: Well, you strike me, I mean, your posture toward the world seems to be that you will uh, be learning forever you know yep. now this is fascinating stuff and to put it all into because i mean we could easily talk about this for the next 6 hours and we'll turn around and go oh my god where did the day go i would love to do that but it's beyond the scope of the podcast let's do some um some cuts in this movie that we're presenting to this audience you have developed this practice In Toronto, in a studio, and now summarize quickly how you took the next big step, which was to end up buying basically a small spa in Mexico, where you're now going to do yoga retreats and are moving the business to that level.
1: Well, it kind of happened the way everything seems to happen in my life, where I just hit a wall and I'm no longer feeling nourished by what I'm doing. Uh, I created the Flying Yogi Studio. Then, as you know, we had almost two years of COVID. So the studio was shut down. The, the positive thing that came out of that is it forced me to rethink what I was doing. I started to take my programs online. I created what's kind of known as a yoga TV, sort of an on-demand channel where people could subscribe. I took my teacher trainings online and created... Um, uh, uh, platform. We talked about that through LearnDash. You asked me what the platform was. I remembered later, um, and uh, and those those courses are still being subscribed to and purchased by people. And this m- expanded. It's, I started to realize that this was the access to me getting more international and out to more people, so that people could actually learn from anywhere in the world, regardless of. You know, uh, time zones, etc.
0: If someone were interested right now to find that channel where they could subscribe, where would they go?
1: I uh, have a, a learning a course site called the Flying Yogi Training Academy.com.
0: Okay. And, and if a person wanted to subscribe to the on demand TV, How much is that subscription?
1: Uh, It's about $40 a month, and we always run specials. I think we have a summer summer special right now, 50% off. Okay. And it's very simply ondemand.theflyingyogi.ca.
0: Okay. ondemand.theflyingyogi.ca. Check it out, people.
1: And then we have a, a shop, an online shop, store where we sell our equipment. This year we came out with... Uh, a model that I was inspired by because, you know, Toronto's a real... Big pride community. So we created the Pride Yogi Gym, which is rainbow colors. We came out with a limited edition of that, which was really fun. So the online channel, I mean the online shop is again very easy. It's shop.theflyingyogi.ca. And there we have accessories for the equipment as well as recorded classes that you can purchase, support material, uh an ebook that I created a few years ago, which was basically just a sort of an version of my teacher training manual.
0: So tell me now, how, how did you then, like I said, you had reached a point where you felt you needed... Wh- why? What, what was it Did you were feeling?
1: Well, then after being out of the studio for a while... Um, and starting to like look at other ways of doing it, going back to the studio felt very restrictive for me. And you know, there was the oppression of having to like only have so s- certain size classes, and nothing felt fun anymore. And I started to realize that also my income potential was really it had a real cap on it. There was no way that a studio is scalable. No. And uh, and I had put 11 years into it, and I'd really gotten all I could out of the experience. And I thought about what my future looked like, and it was the same thing that I experienced when I was in L.A., the same thing I experienced in Toronto when I decided to move to L.A., where I suddenly went, I can see what my next five years are like, and it bores the crap out of me. I don't want to do this anymore. It's like Groundhog Day. A realtor contact me, And we signed some paperwork and I got an offer on my studio.
0: Wait a minute. You put out feelers, I hope.
1: Yeah. Well, it was, uh, I got actually a promotion in the mail. This is a whole other story. Probably shouldn't go there, but I got a promotion in the mail, contacted them and they're sort of like an investment company, you know, and they come and they will buy property and then they'll flip it. They'll give you a fair price value. And I was thinking, I don't feel like dealing with like the whole thing. I'd rather just someone come make me an offer. And I had an idea about a number that I thought would be fair. And they met that. And I also had a couple of teachers. One was a teacher who had worked for me, who during the winter months during COVID was getting away from the oppression of what Canada was like during that period and living a beautiful life in Mexico and posting a lot on social media. Another person I knew had gone down to Mexico and decided never to come back. He, because at this point everybody was starting to understand the uh, possibilities of working remotely, right? So he was a financial planner. He realized whatever he did, he didn't need to be in an office. He could do it anywhere. So he started to make some purchases. He bought some land, and then he bought a house. And so I reached out to him, and I said, is this doable? And he said, oh, yeah, you can definitely buy land in Mexico now. So I started to map out areas that I thought might be a good place to open up a business and uh, I flew down with my partner we took February because February is my least favourite month in Toronto and Before COVID, I always was in India in February. That became sort of my way of surviving the winter and going back and staying connected to the source of my training and my family over there, my extended family. And I'd also started teaching suspension yoga through some of the yoga studios there. It was starting to get some attention. And so now with COVID, travel was out of the question. So I was grounded in Toronto for two winters, which was brutal. <laughs> and I went, this is not happening to me anymore. I refused to spend another winter in Toronto. And yet I love the city. And so John and I, my partner, we went for a month scouting and we were looking through the areas that I thought initially would be interesting, which is all along the Mayan Riviera, all along the Caribbean, South Mexico. And it was really disappointing. It was like very touristy, very expensive. The only things that were really that you could buy were condos and houses in gated communities, and. And yet I was doing a lot of my own research online and the properties that I was seeing that were attracting me, that were looking like traditional or colonial um, and reasonable within my budget were in the Yucatan province, So, which was like a four or five hour drive. So I contacted a realtor there, scheduled a day of viewing. We rented a car, left very early in the morning and drove out there and did a day of looking at properties. And then saw these two properties that I ended up buying, but still wanted to do a little bit more, uh, traveling. I had some other parts of Mexico on my itinerary, but I couldn't get these, these properties out of my head. Describe
0: like, them, please. Well,
1: no. uh, one was this big, beautiful, this is the one that's becoming the Flying Yogi Merida, the, the retreat facility. And it was very unique and it was, relatively new. It had been completed in 2018, the renovations, by um, a French-Canadian expat. And so it was long and narrow. I like the fact that it was intimate. But what really sold me was he'd created this whole roof that was like another level, that was like another world. He'd created like an entertainment area, a ping-pong area, a place where you could hang out and read. It was all solar paneled, so these solar panels were also used as canopies. So all of this activity happened underneath the solar panels. And then on either side of the property, the center of the property beneath were these three apartments, and then on either side was the original house, And on top of the original house, there was a massive platform. And I saw it, and I had it and measured it, and I went, I could build a rig on this. And I could put a rig that could easily hold 10 suspension units. And that was what I was looking for, is where can I put this rigging? This is what I needed, right? And then next door... A few doors down was a new property that was just being uh, still in the works about a year behind, you know, schedule, but it was cute and it was very reasonably priced. It was, they had like a pre-sale price. I liked it. I liked the design. I liked what the architect had done with it. And I realized, wow, and this other property, the blue property, the facility, the training facility, it had been sitting on the market for since before COVID. So a lot of real estate had not moved during COVID. It had been owned by expats who were stuck out of the country, couldn't travel back. So it was really fortunate to be there at a time when people were like really ready to sell. And so I saw he had reduced it. And so I went in and reduced it a little bit more. And at this point, he was like, he just wanted out. And I got it for a price that allowed me to be able to afford both properties.
0: Now, one property is going to be your... Residence. Your residence. Now, the actual space where people will come to enjoy suspension yoga in the sun in Mexico, there are... Rooms there for people to sleep? Yes. It's like a small hotel. Yes. How, yes. Many, how many separate rooms?
1: Okay, so there's actually four separate rooms. Three of them are double occupancy. And there's one that's like a loft, which I'm setting up as a private quarter. But it can easily be used for double occupancy if... So there's some flexibility in terms, and then in my property, just a few doors down, I have a guest house in the back. So that would be reserved also as a private quarter if we have a little bit of an overflow. Also, part of the plan is to start promoting this among aerial yoga studios throughout the world, offering them hosting opportunities where we partner with them and they can bring their trainings there. We arrange for the, you know, for the, um, we, we, in, incorporate excursions into our training so it becomes a cultural immersion and you're not just coming for teacher training but you're also because we're right in the center of the mayan civilization Wow! so uh we've got cenotes which are these uh freshwater sinkholes all around that region it's all around the south and uh, it's been said that these were created by the initial craters that fell that uh created the uh the ice age and the end of the dinosaur period and so they've become these amazing caves and this is where the mayans would draw their fresh water from and so they're the areas filled with these beautiful places that have been preserved and they're all like you know protected and then there's all the archaeological ruins. There's a flamingo sanctuary, just about an hour and a half drive out of the city. What I liked is that Merida is not a beach culture. I, Merida is a university town, small city. By any city standards, there's only a million people. It has a reputation for being the safest city in all of Ma- Latin America. And the Yucatan province is, is the safest province in Latin America. In other words, translated, no cartel. <laughs> no.
0: People, if you, you need to visit the site to see this property. It's, it's I mean, it's breathtaking. And it's the flyingyogi.ca, and then there's a link that takes you to the Mexican site. And think about what Trixie is describing. If you've ever wanted to vacation in Mexico, and you happen to also would love, you'd like to see... Um, some cultural wonders like the Mayan ruins, etc. And at the same time, have a restful spa experience, enjoying the benefits of suspension yoga. You can do it all at Trixie's Spa. So definitely check that out. Now, have you studied with any of the top marketers to learn how to do this?
1: Well, I did, uh, you know, I've always been, you know, uh, into personal development. You and I had done the T. Harv Eckerd, and each program I took took me to the next level mm-hmm. my development and helped me overcome uh, a blind spot or a resistance, right? So um, that helped me see that owning a house was a possibility, and I got my home that way um and then i uh around i had already started the studio and again i was hitting a place where i was struggling and floundering because i didn't have the skills and the tools and the business management skills that i needed i was a yoga teacher up to that point that had a pretty free lifestyle right i just go from class to class lots of time on my hands suddenly i have this commitment that is like raising a child 24-7, you know. And um, it was a bit of an adjustment, and I was spread very thin. And I was uh, also in a partnership that I was looking to pull myself out of and rebrand. And uh, so I had spent a weekend with a client who was a, a breast cancer survivor, and she invited me along with... Uh, a handful of close friends to um, a beautiful resort, or not a resort, a private uh, property up in the Muskokas uh, that was donated by I think the man uh, gentleman owns the Toyota dealership uh, for Canada. Huge property, and they were part of a um, a program for cancer survivors where they gifted them places where they could stay after they've completed their two years of treatment. So we got to be part of that. And all of these ladies that were there, they had all done the landmark programs, the uh, forum, etc. And I enjoyed their company so much. I mean, I'd heard about Est when I was going to acting school in New York. It was becoming a big thing there. But I resisted. But here I was with a group of dynamic ladies who were living really rich, full lives, who were very successful and a lot of fun to be with. And I thought, and I was exhausted, I felt lost, and I thought, you know what, I need something. I'm just going to, that weekend I went and I just booked into the forum. And from the forum, I continued through the courses, I did the communication curriculum, and that led me to an entrepreneur program that they offer, a two-year program called Team Management and Leadership and that was a profound program tough as hell and I wanted to quit from the day I started I wanted to quit so many times but I saw it through and it just created a shift in terms of what I understood was capable and part of that secret was that success relies on team building and you know, outsourcing, up to that point, I'd fallen into the solopreneur trap of trying to wear every hat.
0: Listen, the reason I'm asking you this is I think almost everybody listening, including me, want to know how to get beyond that fear of beginning to trust others, Mm -hmm. spend the money Mm -hmm. on outsourcing, etc. So this was part of the training?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then, uh, again, I learned about a program. I got lucky, as I tend no, to you be didn't. when I'm on
0: a f- No, you didn't. <laughs> no.
1: I learned about a program that the Ontario government has called, YES, Youth Employment Services, where they, um, they fund the first four months of uh, a student's uh, salary for businesses. It helps small businesses make that leap, right? It's like a bridge program. And so I got my first full-time assistant that way. And I sat down with her and I was just finishing up my training. I understood about creating structures. We learned about creating structures and plans and um, and enrolling people and... I've gotten really skillful at enrolling people to become part of my vision, uh-huh. and I have teams everywhere now. And I couldn't do what I'm doing now if that wasn't the case. And a lot of these people are paid, but it becomes part of the budget. So when I sat down with my first assistant, Nancy, I said, "We have to make you. Re- we have to make you um, uh, necessary." So we created in that four month, we created a game, and I said, "By the end of this." four-month period, our monthly revenue needs to look like this in order to be able to afford to pay you your salary. And we topped it, right? And I started to see what was possible. And also mindset has a big part of it, because I think when you're stuck in that space, you know, you can't see beyond where you're at, you know, and you have this wall and all you're seeing are the limitations, right? And it's not until you step back, which is like what COVID did as well. It's, it made you, forced you to step back so that you can suddenly see what's behind the wall, beside the wall, above the wall. And that's kind of that experience. So um, there's no possible way to scale or grow on your own.
0: No, no, absolutely not. And
1: I am having this conversation with other solopreneurs and I'm watching them flounder and I'm watching them burn out and I'm watching them become unaffected and I'm saying, you've got to make this step. You've got to budget it. You've got to have a plan. Find someone you trust. Train them. Training is a big job, you know, and I invested a lot of time and continue to do so. Now I have a virtual assistant in the Philippines and she's awesome but i commit a month to work with these people so they become mini me's so i can be anywhere and i don't have to worry they will know where to pick up the ball or pick up the slack if i'm traveling or i get sick or i get hurt right the business doesn't rely on me
0: did you also learn uh, how to set up membership sites and everything through this kind of training?
1: Um, no, because that's very specific to my business. And this training was for all entrepreneurs from every different industry, right? So how did you learn Well, that? again, I, I was doing a lot of yoga shows and conventions. So there's a lot of uh, people you come across who are there. One of them was um, a platform that was just starting to come up in... To the fitness world and studio world called Mind Body Online. And I spent a little bit of time with some of the representatives and they showed me the bells and whistles and the features. So I ended up reaching out to them and took, the, you know, they integrate you and train you. So it really made things manageable. That thing did everything and did all the bookings and the financials and, you know, and you just plug everything in. It's like, you know the beginning of that whole sort of online thing, and they become quite big. They're international. You can find Mind Body Online in pretty much any yoga studio or fitness-related studio, or um, even massage and spa-related places. Oh. Uh, so you know, you just kind of find these tools along your way through hearsay or where you happen to be you know
0: well your antenna has to be tuned in to them so that's why when you say luck i said no no it's not luck you've been creating luck right along trixie where do you see yourself five years from now
1: um good question i kind of have a three-year plan right now which is like to do what i'm doing once we launch uh the Flying Yogi Merida in November. So I still love Canada. I love my park yoga classes. We're in our 18th season. They've grown to include the entire GTA. I'd started with that park on Riverdale. And now we have classes all over the city with different instructors, seven days a week. And um, it's, my, it's my, my grounding time. I go there, I see people that have been coming me from the very beginning i watched them marry, I've watched them have children i watched the children grow they bring their children to the classes so I'm not ready to give that up so I still want to spend six months out of the year, five months out of the year in my home, in Toronto nurturing and being part of that community that I've built while I'm building my community in Merida uh, the other half of the year and uh, so I want to try that for three years and see how it feels um I don't see myself ever really slowing down. <laughs> I, I am a really purpose-driven individual. I've come to recognize that about myself. And when I try to imagine what it would be like being retired and having nothing to do, I, I cringe, right? I oh. get incredible joy out of the creativity and the challenges. Um, I think I'm an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, mainly because it's the most powerful personal growth program out there. No, nothing, absolutely. nothing pushes my back against the wall more than that, and it's just become part of my lifestyle and part of my, my mission. So I in five years, I haven't a clue. I can't see that far but I can see after three years that I will do a reassessment. Oh, sure. Um, maybe, you know, maybe I'll move to another part. I don't see myself in Mexico forever, uh, but then that can change. I didn't see myself in Toronto this long when I first came. I had a five-year plan when I came to uh-huh. Toronto, uh-huh. and that was like 19 years ago, right? So,
0: You know, here's a question I think that people would love to have the answer to. I would as well. A lot of people who are have exciting ideas for a business, get stumped by the challenge of traffic, driving traffic to their ideas, finding prospects that they can uh, enroll and engage with, etc. And a lot of people feel that the only way to deal with that is to spend a lot of money on paid traffic. I have a feeling that you haven't done that.
1: I dabble in it. But I haven't paid a lot. There is a point where, yes, to get to the next level, you do need to go there. But it's really important to start where you are. I started with donation classes in the park. My business built was built through word of mouth. Word of mouth. Right. That is your foundation. And once you start building from that, then you start to slowly develop your social media presence um, but there's a point where or if you really want to scale organic traffic is going to have its limits. Um, but again, lucky I got people find me and right now I'm working with a gentleman who is a professional digital marketer. The other thing is I uh, I also am uh, part of the intern program with Humber where like they just they just spew out you know uh, you know hopefuls digital marketing hopefuls most of these children are from india in fact all of the interns that worked with me mm-hmm. are from india which is also kind of cool because it brings everything full circle and i have relatedness with them i've i've been to the cities where they were born or i know oh. the regions where they're from you know and um They've become kind of, you know, my, they come to me to learn and they also help to take up, you know, the incredible grunt work of having to create content, edit videos, because it becomes its own machinery. You got to be posting regularly. I would never be able to do it. It would make me insane. But I have all of these talented children, young uh, students, young adults who are needing to do this for their school credits and they're flocking to my door so I have like free labor there again I have to invest a certain amount of time, train them, train them in the brand, I have certain courses on marketing, I've, I've subscribed to courses on Facebook advertising now I'm into TikTok so? <laughs> and it's like boom Have you, you know? studied
0: uh, with digital marketer? Uh, Ryan I Dice?
1: No. I, I went with another woman named Sam English. She was, uh, I've tended to lean more towards women who are specifically focused on the female entrepreneur. Right. That's how I found my, um, my, uh, my uh, virtual assistant. They have uh, this woman, this bright woman out of Australia, and she targets specifically female entrepreneurs. And uh, she's created this whole really well-operated program of offering the services, and she trains these people really well. So they come with a skill set, right, in a lot of the leading platforms, whether it's MailChimp or Drimp or ClickFunnels, you know, and dealing with uh, WordPress and Mm -hmm. website building and et cetera, you know.
0: Have you... uh studied at all with Amy Porterfield? No. You know who she is? No. Her expertise is online courses. This has been a fascinating journey, and what I want to ask you now is, is there one final thing that you would love to leave the audience with?
1: You know, the final thing I want to leave people with is that, and it's been said before, it almost sounds cliche, but if you can think of it, if you can conceive it, You can do it. Get the training you need. Learn what you need to learn. Surround yourself with people who encourage you and support you, you know? Uh, don't try to do it alone. And that doesn't mean you need a partner necessarily. But people, there are so many people that are looking for someone to align themselves with. There's so much abundance of people that would love to be part of your journey and part of your plan. Keep speaking about it. When I made the transition, any of the transitions I made in my life, I talked about it for almost a year before I acted. Part of that was my process of programming myself. Right? So I would talk about my plans. I wouldn't keep them a secret. It's like, yeah, I'm going to be doing this and I'm going to be doing this by that. When I did the online thing, I had no idea how to create an online course. It was intimidating taking a 200-hour teacher training that I'd been operating in a studio and trying to find order and structure and resource material. And then we had to like videotape. We were videotaping Weeks at a time in the studio, putting all of this into uh, a context, a visual context. But I just kept talking about it and talking about it. I kept talking about me wanting to go to Mexico and talking about it. I'm talking, you know, so just keep living it. Include it in your conversation with everybody because I've learned that it's through conversation that ideas are born and it's through conversation that we attract the people we need.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. And if I had to summarize it, I would say you mentioned if you can imagine it or see it in your mind that it can happen. That's Napoleon Hill, of course. Mm-hmm. Think and Grow Rich.
1: Whose book I read, yeah. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's powerful. Uh, it's a powerful philosophy. Essentially, it would be this for me. Most people are afraid to move because they feel I've got to see it to believe it. And what you're doing is, you believe it, and that makes you see it. Mm -hmm. So the belief that faith, that leap of faith, has to come first. Once again, how can people find out about what you offer? Repeat it for us, please.
1: Well, the new website is The Flying Yogi Merida. Just as simple as that, just search The Flying Yogi Merida, that is where we will be offering teacher trainings, suspension yoga holidays. So you don't need to want to teach suspension yoga to come and practice suspension yoga and have a wonderful time. And we also will offer and tailor custom holidays for anyone who uh, is a group larger than
0: four people. Now, Flying Yogi Merida, M-E-R-I-D-A. It's th-
1: The Flying Yogi.
0: Oh, The Flying. Good, The Flying Yogi Merida, M-E-R-I-D-A dot what? Dot c. So it's
1: actually theflyingyogi.ca forward slash Merida. But ah, if you search ah, just okay. that, you will get it. Or if you just go to theflyingyogi.ca, you will find it.
0: Okay, great. This has been... Uh, I've been on a journey with you. Thank you so much for taking me along.
1: It's been my pleasure. Thank you.
0: Storytellers, thank you for sharing this journey with me and Trixie today. And my final question is for you. What are you going to do with the wisdom that Trixie has given you? I am your host, Luis Bianco, and this is Change Your Story, Change Your Life.